Kumana into center field. It's going to drop for a base hit. Scoring is Martinez. Quick is getting the wave around. Walk it off. Little big man. One one on the way. Oh. Well, that one is heading to Mansfield as it is Lumberjacks. Jesus Pozo clubs his third dinger of the year. Pujols with a drive deep to left. Richard looking up, and that is gone. Jose Pujols with his first home home run of the year. McCall's around first to throw to second. Tobias' tag in time to end the ball game. Swung on in the air, shallow right. Pujols in and over into foul ground, makes the catch to end the ball game, and the cutter storm the field as Pinkney Division champions. Welcome back, everybody, to the Timber Talk Podcast. I am Mitch Rupert of the Williamsport Sun-Gazette, beat writer for the Williamsport Crosscutters, the short-season Class A affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies. Is it time to panic here in Williamsport even just a little bit? Manager Pat Borders says no, but the progression of the Crosscutters over the last two weeks says otherwise. Williamsport won the front end of a doubleheader Thursday night before the final game was rained out, and it was just the sixth win in the last 14 games for Williamsport. This tough stretch is coming on the heels of a streak where the Cutters won 14 games in a 16-game span. The one saving grace for Williamsport at this point is it's still tied for the wildcard lead in the New York Penn League, along with the Staten Island Yankees, who both have identical 30-22 and records as we record this. But there are some alarming numbers rearing their ugly heads right now with the crosscutters, and we're going to get into those just a little bit later here on the Timber Talk podcast. This is going to be an episode of interviews, the most interviews we've ever had in one episode of the Timber Talk podcast, because I had a number of interesting conversations with players throughout the last week, and even one former player this week that I would really like to bring to you. We're going to talk to Cutters first baseman Derek Hall about his recent hot streak for the cross cutters, and we'll hear from reliever Will Hibbs and how he's handling the transition from being a starting pitcher at Lamar University in Texas to now being one of the best relievers in the New York Penn League. And finally, we'll also hear from former crosscutter Carlos Alonso, who this week ended his playing career and joined Williamsport as a coach. We'll hear how he's handling this transition and what he's hoping to get out of it. And in our featured interview this week, we're going to talk with Chris King, Gulf Coast League evaluator extraordinaire about a handful of names in the Gulf Coast League with the Phillies that you already know about and some that maybe you don't. But before we get into all of that, like we do every week here on Timber Talk, let's check in on the roster moves made this week by the Williamsport Crosscutters. Once again, there isn't much going on in terms of roster moves as the team has really settled into who it is and what it is. The only roster move of the week was seeing relief pitcher Scott Harris promoted from Williamsport to Lakewood. The left-hander was very good for Williamsport after an injury cut short his time earlier this year in Lakewood. In 11 games with the Crosscutters, Harris was 2-2 with a 1.65 ERA. In 16 and a third innings, he allowed just 13 hits and three earned runs, but he averaged better than a strikeout per inning and walked just four batters over that span. So now you can expect to see, I think, more of John Hennigan out of the bullpen for the Crosscutters when they need a left-hander to fill in that role that Scott Harris had had as a back-end bullpen guy 
Also earlier this week, it was confirmed to me that both Trevor Bentoncourt and Archimedes Gamboa were sent back to Florida for rehab work, and they are not currently with the Williamsport Crosscutters. Neither one has been officially placed on the disabled list, but they aren't with the team. They, they haven't been traveling with them recently. Trevor Bentoncourt, I haven't seen on the field for the last few weeks, and it was just confirmed this week that he is back in Florida. Bentoncourt's a 25th round draft pick out of UC Santa Barbara and pitched in only two games for the Crosscutters this year, logging two and a third innings. It couldn't even begin to tell you what the injury is as Pat Borders and his staff are notoriously pretty tight-lipped about injuries. Gamboa was in the midst of an interesting year with the Crosscutters. The 18-year-old shortstop was hitting just 200 for the season when he went down with an injury, but he put together a really good three- or four-week stretch in July, which flashed all of the talents that made the Phillies give him a nearly $1 million signing bonus two years ago. Gamboa injured a leg attempting a steal at Mahoning Valley about two weeks ago, but no information on his progress has been available. Also this week, it was announced that three Williamsport Crosscutters players were selected to the New York Penn League All-Star team. Starting pitchers Adonis Medina and Ranger Suarez were named to the New York Penn League South team, along with outfielder Jesus Alastri. And truth be told, that's about as good a turnout as the Cutters could have expected. There's a case to be made for Will Hibbs and his sub 1.00 ERA, but the two starting pitchers selected were the obvious choices. Jesus Alastri was a bit of a surprise considering he was sent back to the Gulf Coast League once this year as the college players reported to the Crosscutters, and he hadn't really played regularly until Mark Laird was recently promoted to Lakewood. Medina got off to a hot start this season and is currently 4-2 with a 2.17 ERA in 10 starts, but he's had two of those starts cut short to less than two innings, one after he took a comebacker off of his foot back in early July, and one on Thursday night that was shortened to just four outs because of rain. Ranger Suarez, we know, threw a no-hitter earlier this season for the Crosscutters and leads the team with five wins. He's 5-1 and one with a 2.72 ERA heading into the weekend series against Mahoning Valley, and he has been Williamsport's most consistent starting pitcher. Jesus Alastri leads the Crosscutters with a 316 batting average over his two stints with the team this summer. His 31 hits are the second most on the team, and he's one of just two players currently on the roster to have a batting average over 300, joining catcher Gregory Rivero. I tell people all the time that every time I go to the ballpark, my only wish is to see something I've never seen before. Thursday night, I got just that wish. The Crosscutters had a scheduled doubleheader after a rainout Wednesday night with the Hudson Valley Renegades, but after just seven outs... In the opener of this doubleheader, the heavens opened up and soaked Bowman Field, leading to a three-hour and 38-minute rain delay. Yep, it was one of those nights in Williamsport. The rain delay brought up to me memories of the 1993 faithful doubleheader between the Phillies and the Padres at Veterans Stadium that started, I believe, on July 2nd and ended on July 3rd at 4.40 in the morning on a base hit by Mitch Williams. Coincidentally, Mitch Williams was in Williamsport earlier this week, making an appearance in the first game of the three-game series between Williamsport and Hudson Valley. The first game last night didn't get resumed until sometime after 9 o'clock, and there was still five and two-thirds innings left to play in that first game. By the time the second game got started, it was nearly 11.30, and there was still plenty of rain left on the radar. 
Williamsport won the first game of that doubleheader Thursday night, winning 1-0 on a Brett Barbier sixth-inning single. Barbier also threw out the potential tying run in the top half of that sixth inning. But in true baseball fashion, and only things things like this can only happen in the sport of baseball. It doesn't happen in football or, or other sports where they can't play through the weather. weather. When they started the second game, the rain started yet again. Hudson Valley was leading 2-1 to one in the bottom of the fifth innings as it really started to pour down on Bowman Field. You could see that clearly the umpires and the coaches were thinking, let's just get this half inning in, we'll call the game, and everyone can go where they have to go. Hudson Valley had to make a six-hour trip to Connecticut overnight last night, so I know they wanted to get out of there as soon as they could. Williamsport left Friday morning to go to Niles, Ohio. But then all of a sudden, all those plans got changed. Chandler Hall reached on a single and went to second base on a feeling error in center field. He was moved to third by Luis Encarnacion with a ground ball, and then Evan Rogers hit a sacrifice fly. You could tell it wasn't in the game plan for how the officials wanted to end the game, how the umpires wanted to end the game, because when the game got tied up at 2-2, two to two, you could see the umpire's shoulder slump, and even the coaches couldn't help but laugh a little bit. John Hennigan came out to relieve Cole Irvin in the top of the sixth inning of game two. He threw one pitch, and the rain was just too much for him to take. The umpires called everybody off the field. And the problem for the crosscutters was they couldn't put the tarp back on the field because all of their interns had gone home. And that's what they use interns as part of their grounds crew to put the tarps on the field. The rain stopped quickly, and truth be told, they probably could have used about 20 or 30 minutes or so uh, worth of work on the field and got it playing again and ready to go uh, to finish out the ball game. They could have restarted by about 1 a.m., but it just put everybody in a bind. So eventually, the managers agreed to just call the game, and because this is the last time this year Hudson Valley and Williamsport will meet, it was declared a no game. That's right. It's like the game never happened. The five innings that were pitched by Cole Irvin, the five really good innings pitched by Cole Irvin, they will never go down on his stat sheet. They would just be a figment of our imagination and a couple of markings on my scorebook. So what that means for the Crosscutters is they're going to play a 75-game schedule this year instead of 76. Hudson Valley had already previously lost a game earlier this year. They're only going to play a 74-game schedule. I tell you that story that big story because I think on a broader spectrum the whole process of Thursday night where it took over eight hours to essentially play seven innings I think this could be pretty good for this Williamsport Crosscutters team this was a pretty tight-knit group to begin with even to the point where last night during the the initial three hour and 40 minute rain delay they got a group together and had a rock paper scissors battle behind home plate with the Hudson Valley team. That was a lot of fun to see. And if you want to see some of the video, go on to my Twitter at Mitch underscore Rupert. I posted some of the video of that. But it was the way the game played out and the way the whole night played out that maybe will help this Williamsport Crosscutters team get out of this current funk that they're in where they've only won six of their last 14 games. Will Hibbs came in and worked out of a bases loaded jam. Then he had a runner on third with nobody out in the next inning, and he didn't allow a run there. Then Barbier came up with the clutch single to win the first game 1-0. You could see that the guys were fighting for one another. They were working to try and help one another out. Barbier's play at first base to cut down a run at home was an, 
a great play for a guy who's a catcher and had only played a little bit of first base at Cal Poly this year and is not a first baseman by trade. And he made a great play, great recognition to see the runner coming home and made a great throw to the plate to Gregory Rivera, or excuse me, to Henry Lartigue to get the out and take that runner off of third base. I think it's important to see that these guys are fighting for one another because it means they haven't rolled over yet. It's a bonding experience to go through a night like that. These are the stories they're going to tell their kids and their grandkids about, you know, when they're, they're, they're 50 and 60 years old, about what life in minor league baseball was like. And maybe, just maybe, this can help push the team forward. Like I said, that win in the opening game of the doubleheader was only their sixth win in their last 14 games. But the problem hasn't been the pitching with the Williamsport Crosscutters. The pitching continues to be very good, especially the starting pitching. Even though Adonis Medina only went four outs and inning in a third on Thursday night before the rains came, his start was the sixth starting effort over the last 14 games to not allow an earned run for the Crosscutters. And if you look at the numbers for the Crosscutters pitchers in total over the last 14 games, and compare them with the season averages, there isn't a whole lot of difference. Over the last 14 games, the Cutters have posted a 2.91 staff ERA, which is right in line with their season 2.71 ERA. Over the last 14 games, the Cutter staff has allowed 7.56 hits per nine innings, which is actually under the 7.6 hits per nine inning they've allowed for the season. Over the last 14 games, they've struck out 7.45 batters per nine innings, which is just under the 7.54 batters they've struck out per nine innings. And the 2.80 walks per nine innings is right in line with the 2.81 walks per nine innings they've averaged for the season. But when we look at the offense, it becomes a totally different story. Over the last 14 games, the crosscutters have been outscored per game 3.64 to 2.64. Their batting average is just 224 as a team, and they're hitting a measly 159 with running runners in scoring position. And on top of that, they're averaging 10.1 strikeouts per game. Compared to the season averages, the Williamsport Crosscutters are scoring less than a run per game on average than they have for the season, while they're allowing just two-tenths more of a run per game to their opponents. Their season batting average is 240, so they haven't taken a precipitous fall over the last 14 games in their batting average total. But when you look at these numbers, their season batting average with runners in scoring position is 210. They've averaged just under eight strikeouts per game. So you're talking about a 50-point difference in their batting average with runners in scoring position for the season as opposed to these last 14 games. And you're talking about more than two strikeouts more per game than they've averaged for the course of the season. But why is this happening? Well, to me, the problem comes from the middle of the lineup. David Martinelli has gone from a peak of a 263 batting average to now hitting just 245 with an on-base percentage under 300 for the season, batting out of the three-hole. Pat Borders has struggled to mix in a middle-of-the-lineup guys like Henry Larty, Gregory Rivero, Luke Williams, Luis Encarnacion, Brett Barbier, and he's trying to find some continuity and some consistency in the lineup. Derek Hall is finally giving some stability to the lineup, but they need to play Encarnacion every day, obviously because of the Phillies' million-dollar investment in him. 
So they're going to give the opportunities to Encarnacion before they give them to Derek Hall. Also, let's look at Luke Williams. Since his return from his injury about two weeks ago, we've seen his average fall from 233 to 208. But he's still consistently hitting the ball hard, so he's got to stay in the lineup. And I think he has to stay in the middle of the lineup. He's currently He started the season hitting second. He's now hitting fifth in the lineup, which I think is a good spot for him because he does drive the ball to the gaps well. He doesn't have that home run power yet that you would expect out of a third baseman. But he hits the ball hard. He barrels the ball as well as anybody in the lineup. So what's the answer? For manager Pat Borders, it's about these guys learning how to play when they're tired. And as we're into the last month of the season right now, these guys are definitely tired. You're talking about college guys who have been going at it probably since January in their workouts. You're talking about the, the guys who were in extended spring training got to start in early March. It's clear that these guys are tired. But it's also about learning to make adjustments when things aren't going well. Baseball is a game all about making adjustments. And this is the time of the year when these guys have to learn how to make these adjustments. So whether or not they ever come out of this funk is really irrelevant to me. I want to see these guys make the adjustments, have better at-bats, and keep finding ways to help this Williamsport Crosscutters team win. Clearly, the pitching is doing its part. Now it's time for the offense to find their stride here a little bit towards the end of the season and just do what's necessary to keep the Crosscutters in front in the wild card, and maybe even try to track down the State College spikes for the lead in the Pinckney division. Pat Borders talks all the time about peaks and valleys, and this team is definitely in a valley right now. But maybe, just maybe, Thursday night's rain debacle will infuse some energy into this club, and it will have them climbing to one of those peaks as they make a run towards the end of the season. As I mentioned earlier, Derek Hall has been hitting much better of late for the Williamsport Crosscutters. He's starting to find some consistency in his swing, and it's leading to the Dallas Baptist product finally showing off some of his raw power in-game. Last week, he nearly went all Roy Hobbs on the right field light tower at Bowman Field against Staten Island on a home run that I think the estimates start at about 420 feet, and you go from there. It was literally... The light tower power, and I think he hit it through the light standard in right field. It, it was the most impressive shot I've seen in eight seasons covering Williamsport Crosscutters baseball. On top of that, he added another home run in West Virginia, hitting one onto the walkway beyond the right field fence, which is some 40 feet beyond the fence and elevated about 20 feet. That video is available at crosscutters.com, and it's pretty impressive. Derek Hall has been the most consistent hitter during this current funk that the Williamsport Crosscutters are in. And as we play fun with arbitrary endpoints, in 12 games since July 23rd, Hall is hitting 317 and slugging 585, and he has an OPS of 990. Of his 13 hits during that time, five are doubles and two are home runs. After he hit that home run against Staten Island, Derek Hall and I talked a little bit about why things have turned around for him and here's what he had to say. You've been squaring some balls up lately. I think over the last eight or ten games, you really seem to be hitting the ball well. Do you feel like you're in a good spot right now? Yeah, you know, my swing feels good. You know, I feel like I've, I've you know, kind of narrowed down some things and, 
you know, able to get on time, and I think that's you know been the biggest difference. Even some some of these outs you've made this week, they're just uh, you know line drives to center field. Is is that kind of when you know you're you're going good when you're going back through the middle? Yeah, you know, I always try to stay through the middle because um, you can kind of have you kind of err on one side or the other if you're a little late, hit the left, a little early, hit it to right. So you know, it's it's some things have been going my way offensively. And, I think it's just because I've been more hitters counts instead of getting 0-2, 1-2, where the pitcher kind of has you in his hands. I think that's been the difference. Has it been about being a little more patient for you at the plate or just, just kind of the, yeah. the way baseball goes? Yeah, you know, and, and I think seeing the ball well, you know, that's always, you know, people talk about it's the most underrated statement, you know, just seeing it, you know. Because if you see it well, you won't swing balls. And if also, if you're not 0-2 all the time, you're not going to swing balls because you're getting more patient here and you're waiting for your pitch. Now, before I go nuts on Derek Hall's prospect status, all the caveats apply with Derek Hall that go along with being a first-base-only college draftee. He's not a great defender, but he's adequate over there and the best first-base defender on this Williamsport Crosscutters team. He's also hitting far better against younger pitchers with a 321 average and a 1013 OPS than he is against older pitchers where he has a 233 batting average and a 794 OPS. So Derek Hall hasn't reached total prospect status yet. He'd need a couple seasons like what Reese Hoskins has put together to reach that kind of status. And even now, we're still there are still some that are worried about Hoskins' future. But dream on this. The power is real. And now he's showing it in games. It's worth keeping an eye on Derek Hall. Covering the crosscutters, I'm always looking for the most reliable information I can get on the players in the Gulf Coast League, just so I know what to expect from the guys who eventually make their way to Williamsport. My go-to source for all that is none other than Chris King, who spends many sweltering summer afternoons watching the Gulf Coast League games. And Chris joins us now here on the Timber Talk podcast. Chris, how you doing, man? Doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us here. Uh, you probably spend too much of your life at Gulf Coast League games, but you must enjoy it at least a little bit. Absolutely. Um, at at least you know five, six games a week, and that's only because they don't even play on Sundays. So <laughs> one day off. I'd, I'd call it punishment sometimes, but I, but I, yeah, you you like it, so it can't be punishment. So I guess. yeah, it's just a cool level to watch these kids come in and make their debuts. And, play as teenagers and you know then check them out three or four years down the road see where they're at then it's it's just a cool way to see these kids from the start uh if you want to follow chris on twitter he's at stats king on twitter and he's a great follow great information on these guys chris let's get right into it uh over the last couple of years you've been the first guy to kind of hop on the bandwagon for guys like franklin Kilame and, and adonis medina that's where we first heard of those guys there seems to be another kind of arm in that line this year in, in Sixto Sanchez. Is he the next big arm out of the Phillies that you're touting from this group? Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, you know, the what immediately jumps out with Sixto is the fastball. Uh, first couple starts, he was low, mid-90s, and, you know, as the summer's gotten on, he's increased in velocity, which is kind of a rare thing to see in the GCL. A lot of these kids have been pitching all year. You know, it's ridiculously hot out there, and kids are just completely spent. Their bodies are wore down a little bit, so you start to see a little velo drop. Or in Sixto's case, he's up, up where near, <clears throat> excuse me, 96, 97 now. 
that's I, I want to say I don't know if alarming is the right word, but number one, you're you're talking about a young kid who just turned eighteen. You're talking about a kid in the GCL, and you're talking about a kid who's five foot ten. Does it raise your eyebrows maybe when you you see this kind of progression from him? Of you know maybe there's still a lot more in this kid. I mean, the thing with him, it's there's no effort at all. I mean, it's so low effort. Ball comes out clean and easy. <clears throat> arm action's clean and easy. Uh, doesn't look like there's too much strain on the arm. I mean, it's just it's so simple and you know just comes naturally to him. I hate to bring up this name, but the build and the velo and everything would make you think Pedro Martinez. Um, is there any kind of similarity just to the the delivery and the ease with which he gets to that velo? Uh, I mean, I'm never going to count Pedro on <laughs> to anybody ever. That's a good policy. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, the effort's there, and it's it's just so simple and natural. It's not something you teach, so that's always a good sign. Uh, obviously, he doesn't have a change-up like Pedro. <laughs> sure. Who does? Right, exactly. Um, but he has makings of a pretty decent one. Um, the really cool thing about six, though, is first, you know, he's primarily fastball, curveball, changeup. And then last start, I started seeing some funny readings on my gun and checked in. He just started throwing a slider now, too, around 92 miles an hour. A slider at 92? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, I checked with a guy that's familiar with him. I said, you know, what is he cutting it or something? Because I was up top and didn't really have a good angle for that start. I was kind of far back and didn't really see the movement like I normally do when I'm right behind the fence. He's like, yeah, man, he, uh, he just started throwing a slider. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, it's like, why not at this point? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of leads to two questions that I have. Uh, about him if if he's a guy who's sitting 95 96 94 96 and has at times has touched 97 98 is there some feel for the breaking ball there that that it could be an above average pitch and and with that kind of velocity why is he only averaging about six and a half strikeouts per nine yeah that's the funny thing Uh, i've kind of questioned that myself too uh a lot of it's you know I hate to be on the umpires, but I mean, there's plenty of calls where, I mean, the ball's right there on a corner and you don't get it for strike three, stuff like that. Um, and he's not really, he, he doesn't seem to be the kind of guy that wants to go out there and strike out 10 guys every time he takes them out. Like he's fine with just going out there, being efficient, letting his defense work for him and, you know, keep that pitch count low. I see kind of a similarity in that with Adonis Medina that what I've seen Adonis this year where he's not afraid to pitch to contact. And I don't think that's common in, in kids that are as young as Adonis and Sixto. Is that a, a, a good quality? Cause you, you would figure this, you can work to get strikeouts as you get older and, and, and things get more refined. So is pitching to good contact, a good quality have at this age? Yeah, I think it's a good thing for these guys. I mean, there's no sense of going out there you know, reaching back and trying to dial it up more than what's natural to you and, you know, put more effort than what you need to get outs. I mean, that's the name of the game at the end of the day is just to get outs and do it quickly and efficiently. And that's what they're doing. Uh, you know, down the road as they get better feel and the 
the change-ups and the breaking balls become more part of their arsenal, then I think you'll start to see more bat missing. The one concern I've heard with Sixto is obviously his size. Uh, I talked to Chris Truby, the, the Phillies minor league roving hitting instructor, and I said, is he really only 5'10"? And he goes, oh, no. He goes, when he's in spikes, he's 5'11". <laughs> is, is there room for him to maybe fill out a little bit? And obviously, I mean, there's probably some room for him to grow an inch or two, but probably not five or six. Yeah, I mean, he's not uh, like a razor thin kind of build, like a Killamay, and even Medina's a little more lean than he is. Or um, Sixto's already kind of strong and gets most of his strength, appears to me, is from his lower half. Uh, his legs are pretty solidly built, so he's got a good strong base there. And up top, you know, if he grows another inch or maybe two, there's definitely room to add a little bit more. I think that's a good sign so far. Um, well, I want to get into another guy, uh, Mauricio Levera, a little bit. Just kind of, you know, the best I can do is kind of look at stat lines up here. And his stat line to me is interesting. So he's averaging more than a strikeout per inning, but he's a 20-year-old right-hander. So is this an older guy beating up on younger guys, or is this there's some, some stuff here with this guy? Uh, the thing with Levera is he's just he's got a really, really strong arm. And the arm strength is pure and it's real. Uh, he's another guy throwing mid nineties, you know, a lot of 95s. Um, there's a lot more effort in his delivery. He falls off quite a bit to his glove side and it's causing him to not throw as many strikes as you'd like to see, but there's definitely a lot of arm strength there and he's got a little bit of feel for the breaking ball. So he's definitely got to keep an eye on. How, I don't even know what the word is I'm looking for. How skeptical do you get of guys who are about who are 20 years old or so in the GCL that are having success? Do you, do you have to see them a few times before you're you're willing to say this this guy's got something to watch? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you never want to. I mean, some of these teams down here are loaded with guys that are you know even older than 20. They're 21 to 23, and I've seen some 25 year olds. I'm like, what do you? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of defeats the purpose of the GCL here, guys. What are we doing here? Um, but 20 years old, I'm not gonna, you know, take too much away from the kid. Uh, he's still learning. But you know, all you can do is, you know, go out there and don't scout the stats, and you know, just kind of look at the tools he's got and. You know, with the arm strength that Lavera has, there's definitely something to keep tabs on. We're joined right now by uh, Chris King, who uh, scouts the Gulf Coast League down in, in Florida, and we're, we're talking about some, some Phillies prospects down in the Gulf Coast League. Uh, I want to get into the outfield because I feel like we could spend hours on, on the guys that are in the outfield right now. Obviously, Mickey Moniak being the number one pick is the guy that's going to get some hype, but there seems to be some depth there. Josh Steven, an 11th round pick. Ben Pelletier, uh, drafted last year. He's getting a start. Jaylene Ortiz, a $4 million kid. Malvin Matos is a guy that Joe Jordan hyped to me. How intriguing is this whole group of outfielders in the GCL? It's extremely intriguing. Um, I talked to a couple of people about it as well. And what was kind of frustrating for me as a guy that wants to see the younger guys was, you know, they've been getting a lot of rehab guys down here. You know, with Aaron Brown and all there, and I mean, there's been a couple more, and it's kind of taken a bats away from the younger guys. <clears throat> um, but you know, Moniac's Moniac. I mean, he's a plus hitter, plus glove, plus run. I mean, 
There's a reason he went where he did. Um, Steven was very interesting. Kid can really swing the bat. He handles the bat well. Not a lot of swing and miss. Um, great situational hitter. And But the thing with him is it's going to be tough going forward because I don't see too much other than the bat. Um, he's not really – he's like a fringe average runner at best. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, below average arm. So, I mean, not too much you can do with that, but the bat's for real. You you mentioned Moniac a little bit and just, you know, you, you kind of ex- seeing what you expected. He sounds like a pretty polished kid, especially for a kid who's 18. Is that what you'd expect – from a guy who obviously went one one to come in and just be look like a polished player and, and have some success even at eighteen. I mean that's what you hope to see. It's not what you always see. Um, for instance, uh, was it last year, or year before, I'm losing track of these guys. I've seen so many players um, <clears throat> with uh, Kyle Tucker, who was a really high draft pick for the Astros, could have gone one one in that draft and touted as you know the best pure prep bat in the draft. And when I saw him in the GCL over probably 10 games, he really struggled. Um, looked like he hadn't seen many change-ups in his life, was way out in front and off balance, was guessing a lot. And you just don't see that with Moniak. Why is he still in the GCL then? <laughs> <laughs> I get asked all the time. Uh, that's uh, you might want to talk to Joe Jordan about that. <laughs> not too sure. <laughs> see, I'm I'm just bitter because I know if he doesn't come to Williamsport this year, I'm not going to see him next year. He's going to go right to full season ball. So I'm right. yeah, I missed yeah. out on JP Crawford. I missed out on Cornelius Randolph. I'm just bitter at this point. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. Definitely <laughs> fun to watch. Uh, Jaylene Ortiz is interesting just because he's so damn young. I mean, he's 17 years old. He leads the team with seven home runs. Is the production meeting the hype of a kid who got a $4 million signing bonus? Uh, yeah. I mean, yes, I would say. Um, <clears throat> I had the opportunity to see Ortiz uh, about three months before he signed two years ago. I was up in North Carolina covering the NHSI high school tournament in Cary, North Carolina, and the same weekend – Major League Baseball brought the top J2 prospects over to that tournament to play a couple of scrimmage games, and Ortiz was there. And so I had a chance to see him. I guess he was like 15 at that point. And the thing that immediately stands out is his size, obviously. The kid's just a monster. And you sit there and you think, well, there's no way. Like, this kid's just going to be a first base only. That's all he can do. He's not going to be able to move. When he puts the ball in play and kick and run for his size. I mean, he's damn close to being an average runner when he gets going. Um, and the power is, you know, it's easy seven raw power. And the thing with Jalen is he's still learning how to play baseball. Uh, he's extremely raw. A lot of those kids come over, they're kind of built for showcases and not necessarily game situations. <laughs> So you see some base running errors here and there, but the improvements he's made from the start of the GCL until now have been, you know, pretty impressive. The power is what he was hyped for uh, coming out as a J2 kid, but how's the hit tool? Is the hit tool good enough to obviously make that power playing games? It's still a work in progress. I was actually talking with uh, Matt Winkleman about this the other day. 
Um, the thing with Jalen is he really, you know, his pitch recognition was pretty bad at the start of the year. I mean, he was swinging out of his shoes for everything. Couldn't pick up spin, you know, had no chance versus changeups. Now all of a sudden you're seeing him a little more disciplined, staying back a little bit, identifying these pitches and starting to really drive the ball. That's a pretty good sign from a kid who's 17 years old. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, there's, he's still swinging and missing a ton. Um, you know, it's kind of it was a boomer bust kind of at bats, but, you know, the improvements have been made, and you're seeing it every day. He gets better every time he goes out. That's all you can really ask for at that point. Is is there projection in the bat as a hit tool? I don't know if he's ever going to be an average hit tool. Uh, it's probably going to be below average, but I mean, even if he can get it to a you know a decent you know solid forty hit tool, it's going to be enough for that power to play in games. I was talking with uh, Andy Abad, who's the Phillies minor league roving instructor, and asked him about Ben Pelletier, uh, kid drafted out of Canada, I believe, last year. He signed last year, but he didn't report until he finished school this year. It's a just a weird, a weird situation yeah, with him. Very and. <laughs> And Andy said to me that there's he's he's really raw as a baseball player, but there's a lot of good things, a lot of bat speed with him. Is is he just going to need a lot of time to develop? But it, but is there something there to work with? Yeah, absolutely. I like Ben Peltier a lot. Um, <clears throat> not as raw as Ortiz, but definitely still raw and learning how to play. Um, you know, he's he's expanding the zone way too much right now. Uh, if you throw a breaking ball down and away in the dirt odds are he's going to go chase it. But uh, when he's on it and he's seeing the ball, kid can use the whole field. Uh, more gap-to-gap power right now in games, but the frame and the swing suggest that there's going to be more coming. And, you know, he's, he's willing to go the opposite field too, which I like to see from young hitters. I mean, I've seen oh, – uh, I don't know. I hate to throw a ridiculous number out there. I'd say at least six or seven opposite field doubles, which oh, wow. is always a uh, yeah. Yeah, that that's so, a number that seems like it would jump out at you, especially for a yeah, young kid. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, last guy I want to ask you about here is a, is a guy I didn't know anything about, and to be honest with you, I still don't know a whole lot about. Uh, but Joe Jordan kind of went out of his way when when I spoke with him to talk about Malvin Matos. Uh, and, and he looked at me and got like that raised eyebrow expression and said, wait till you see this kid in Williamsport next year. What's so intriguing about this kid? Yeah, Matos was one of the kids. He jumped out right off the bat as well. He had a huge game like the first week of the season where you just, you just saw it. You, you can't really put it into words. You just kind of see it. You know, when you see it, you know it. Um, the sound off the bat is loud extremely loud and the ball just jumps off the bat with almost a flick of the wrist. Um, he's a very athletic kid, uh, loose and plays the game real loose and easy. And, you know, the contact that he makes, man, it's, it's pretty impressive. What about everything else surrounding it? Can he, can he play a little defense and everything? Yeah, he's been bouncing around a little bit. You know, the really does a good job getting these guys acclimated to different positions. Not, you know, set, you know, you're, you know, Moniac, you're our center fielder. Moniac, pretty much, you know, when he's in the lineup, he is a center fielder DH. But other than that, you know, I've seen Matos in center. I've seen Matos in left. 
I'm not sure if I've seen him in right field, but he's handled both positions well. Uh, the arm's, you know, not crazy, and it's not an above average or plus arm, but it's enough to, to be passable in either one of those spots. Chris, kind of going off script here, what I said I wanted to talk to you about, I, I find it interesting that we're, a lot of the kids we're talking about are Latin American kids uh, within the Phillies. How good a job have the Phillies done of uh, of finding maybe some older, cheaper Latin American guys and developing them a little bit? Yeah, Sal Gustinelli and those guys have been crushing it down there the past four or five years. Um, immediately jumps out as the pitching they've gotten and Kilame Medina now Sixto Sanchez. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Whatever they're doing down there, they're doing it well and they're doing it right. Well, Chris, we appreciate you joining us here on the Timber Talk podcast, man. You, just great information. And anybody wants to follow him, follow him on Twitter at StatsKing on Twitter. Chris, thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Chris. Timber! There is no walk up music more fitting of any Cutters player than the music Will Hibbs uses at Bowman Field when he runs out to the mound to the pitch. He comes out to the entrance music of the WWE's Big Show, and it's 6 feet 7 inches, 235 pounds. Yeah, we get it. It totally makes sense. Will Hibbs is an imposing figure who struggles to find comfort when riding on the bus for these 5- and 6-hour bus trips and oftentimes has to lay in the aisle just to be able to stretch out a little bit. He's an imposing figure on the mound, but he's not going to blow you away with his fastball. What he's going to do is mix four pitches depending on the situation and depending on the hitters. He's turned all, it all into success this year. Coming into Friday night's game at Mahoning Valley, he was 3-1 and one with a 0.84 ERA, and he has struck out nearly one batter per inning. Not bad for a guy who's never been a reliever before. At Lamar University this spring, Hibbs was the Friday night starter for Lamar, the ace of the team's rotation. He never expected to be moved to the bullpen. It wasn't something that he talked about with the scouts during the course of the season. But here he is making the transition and making it well. I spoke to Will Hibbs earlier this week about that transition and just how things are going for him. What kind of a different role for you here in, in pro mm -hmm. ball than, than you were in college? How's mm -hmm. that uh, adjustment going for you? Yeah, it's definitely an adjustment. But uh, you know, being a, being a starter for four years and kind of adapting to the closer role, it's, it's kind of a nice change because I'm able to uh, – not really have to pace myself, just kind of get out there and collect, you know, the three, four, five outs that I have to get. Just kind of get out there and do it as quickly and uh, efficiently as I can. Doing a lot of work out of the back end of the bullpen, how different is that from being a starter? Yeah, that that's what I had to learn uh, more, more so than anything. I kind of had to watch the game and adapt to how the game's playing because at any given moment an inning could blow up and then I have to all of a sudden get warmed up and you know a third of the time I'm used to being a starter but the, the first couple of times was a little different or weird but now I've, I think I've got the hang of it. That's the biggest thing I mean you go through this whole progression as a starter mm -hmm. to get everything loose and then all of a sudden it seems like 10 throws you got to be ready to go. Right. Is, is a lot of your work in the pregame to make sure you're yeah loose? yeah we we throw we throw our flat grounds uh before every game we, we make sure to stretch out we'll, we'll stay loose and you know being being a you know late game or close or whatever you want to call it uh type role by the sixth seventh inning i'm kind of getting up moving around making sure my body feels good so that way um 
if they do call on me, I'm I'm not starting starting from scratch. I'm not I'm not cold. I'm kind of I already have some, some some blood flow going on. and I'm ready to ready to roll sooner and kind of cut down my, my warm up time. It's a little different here than other levels of the minors. You kind of know when you're going to pitch, um, you know, by a schedule. Maybe does that make it easier to, to make sure you're ready to go? Somewhat. Um, there's there, there's there's been a few games where I wasn't you know necessarily wasn't my time. Where there were guys. Mm -hmm before me who needed to throw but you know at, at the end of the day whenever Hector radios down it's it's time to go whenever your, your name's got you just got to get out there and be, be be ready to rock and roll generally they talk about you need three pitches as a, as a starter to kind of get through a lineup can you dial that back and get by with two as a reliever do you still like to to go with three or whatever you have yeah I've got I've got four pitches which is funny as a as a closer just just because <laughs> I'm used to it as a starter but uh, you know it, it's it gives me the the liberty to kind of work with what the batter gives me you know if if it's more of a lefty lineup I can use my change up more or if they're more of a free swing and righty group I can throw more curveballs and sliders but you know it it always is based off your fastball so you got to establish that and then see what other what secondary pitch is working that day and you know uh, usually you can get by with uh, three potentially two if you're throwing it well but I mean if, if if all four pitches are working it's it's just it's just gravy. As a starter you got to worry about going through a lineup two three times and and thinking your way through that, can you just kind of go with your best pitch or, or what fits the situation as a reliever? Yeah, I mean, a hitter, a, a, a good hitter, you know, is successful three out of ten times or whatever. So if there's ever a situation where I think a changeup might be the right call for that certain batter, but I just feel really confident with my fastball or, you know, a curveball or something like that, I'm going to go with my gut more times than not because reality of the situation is I'm usually more ahead of the game already because – you know, you're never going to be facing a hitter who's who go who's hitting 700 or mm -hmm. something like that. So they're always sub 500. While they still could be a good hitting um, player, but more more times out of not, you you go with your gut as as the closer or as a as as a relief guy. As as a starter, you start to take one at bat at a time to maybe set up for the next time through the lineup. And that's another thing I've had to kind of engrave into myself. Just just realize that hey. I, I can, I can use all all my energy for these you know one maybe two innings and just kind of use whatever I have to do to, to to get through it. And then you know if it's if it's a situation where where we're up three runs and doesn't like one one home run's not going to hurt us, I'm I'm going to challenge fastballs because that's that's my best located pitch. And so if they if they take advantage of that, you just tip your cap. But what you don't want to do as a as a reliever or closer. Is all of a sudden get a couple base runs on because of walks because sure. you're nibbling or you're, you're getting you're getting too cute with you know a curveball and a two one count whenever you should just be feeding fastballs and letting your defense work and uh, collecting outs and letting letting the the game take care of itself. Did you always know this was kind of kind of be your future as a as a pro? No, I I, I had no idea. I was my, my my mindset was just you know just get there, mm -hmm. get there and see what happens. You know, they might see certain things in me that I hadn't thought of before, which. You know, in the past four years, I haven't really considered myself a closer. That's just primarily because I haven't been in that role. Not to say I, I won't ever be a starter again, or I won't stop being a closer. Like I, that, that's not up to me. I'm, I'm not worried about that. I'm just, just trying to get out there, collect the outs, like I was saying, just attack the hitters and do my job, basically. Which do you prefer? Well, I've been starting so long. Um, I'm, I'm more used to the starting role, but. Um, I'm I'm having some some success as a closer, and it's it, it's nice to be able to get out there for you know an inning or so and really just 
kind of get get after it for those you know ten, ten minutes hopefully uh, <laughs> that I'm that I'm throwing. So um, I'm adapting well. I I say at, at at this point I I don't have a set preference. I just I just want to throw. And if 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 my team or my my coaching staff need, needs me to go two or three four innings, I'm all for it. You already put in about 100 innings in, in college ball before you got here. Starting to get to those dog days of the mm-hmm. season. How's your arm feel? I feel great. We're uh, we're working on some mechanical. I'm not gonna say changes, but just tweaks, mm-hmm. refinements type stuff to make it as perfect as I can. So I think using my lower half and hips more efficiently is letting me take a little stress off the arm. So I'm, I'm seeing my velocity kind of stay stay the same, but I'm not as tight the next day, mm-hmm. and that's that's due to the lack of pitches and the game being a closer but but also you know we also throw every day and I'm, I'm not you know sore tight the next day it's because I'm using my lower half better and um, just it's taken some stress off the arm which is which is nice I, I, I wish I would have had this this type of coaching back when I was 19 instead of 22 <laughs> but you know yeah it's funny I've talked to you know all the pitchers I've talked to this year they talk about Hector getting them to use their lower half mm-hmm. is that just kind of you know his thing. He's he's latching onto. Yeah, it, it's definitely the the train of thought with the Phillies. But uh, when you when when you break it down and kind of take a step back and, and think about it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, there's no reason not to. You look at these guys, you know the Scherzer, Verlanders, Syndergaards, whatever, who almost effortlessly are throwing upper to or mid mid to upper 90s, and it looks like it's not taking a toll on their body. But if you if you break it down and you you look at their lower half, their hips, how they're using their quads and getting extension through the ball instead of just relying on utter arm strength, mm-hmm. it starts to make a little more sense. Mm-hmm. Where's, where's your velocity been so far? Uh, I think I started the season, you know, 89, 91. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm, I'm starting to creep up from there. Um, but the nice thing about it is like, I'm, I'm staying on the ball longer, staying through it. So the ball is actually sinking on me more. So I'm, I'm starting to worry less about velocity because that's what got me here. So I'm sure. not worried about that. Now I'm focused on filling up the zone, making quality pitches as opposed to just moving the ball forward and throwing strikes. And I'm really starting to see some sinking action and getting a lot more ground balls, getting quicker outs, which is allowing me to throw longer if need be and, and really, really take it from there. It's going to be an adjustment, though, just accounting for the extra movement you're getting on the ball. Yeah, but like like I said, we're, we're, we're throwing – Flat grounds. We're throwing. Uh, you have you have your bullpen every two or three days. So, you know, there there was about a week and a half to two week buffer period where I was really figuring out. Now, I mean, I'm it's like riding a bike out there. Whenever whenever you establish your zone, personally on that day, it you just you just get out there and attack and trust your movement, trust your stuff, and know that if you execute your pitch, the the best potential outcome is going to happen. It's unclear what Hibbs's future is with the Philadelphia Phillies. It would seem that if the Phillies wanted to. They could stretch him back into a starter if they like the four quality pitches that he puts together. But maybe this is a role that just suits him better. Certainly right now it seems to. Carlos Alonso's story is quite an interesting one. He was a 32nd round draft pick out of the University of Delaware in the 2010 draft by the Philadelphia Phillies. And Alonso probably never should have made it as far as he did in the Phillies system. He's not an overly talented player. But his hustle, his work ethic, and that grittiness that comes with a player who doesn't know just how limited he is by his talents all molded him into a player who has been a valuable piece in the Philadelphia Phillies system. Sure, he's probably just some organizational filler and always was, and he was never going to see time in Philadelphia, especially not now at 28 years old, but he was someone the front office could point to and say, this is how you play the game. 
never take anything for granted, and appreciate every opportunity and chance you get to play professional baseball. Carlos Alonso is a guy who was going to force the team to peel the jersey off of his back, and recently the Phillies were able to do that with him. Carlos Alonso retired this week. He's currently on the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs disabled list, and he'll remain there the rest of the season as he spends the final month of the season as a coach with the Williamsport Crosscutters. It's a title he's still getting used to, but one in which he's embracing right now. New career path for you, I guess. Tell, yeah. tell me about how this came about for you. Yeah, you know, um, this is uh, it's definitely something that I've uh, embraced in the last couple of weeks, and, and it took a little while just because... I've uh, I've been I've been grinding for for baseball for a long time and, and it's definitely been a goal and I had really high expectations and you know what sometimes things don't always work out as planned and, and you got to kind of look forward and see what's best uh, for your future so um, yeah I've accepted kind of the assignment here as a, a player coach and uh, just looking forward to the opportunity. Your playing career done now? Um, yeah, my playing yeah. career is done. How tough is that to kind of swallow a little bit? Because that's it's, what you've been you've done your whole life. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, it's it's still so fresh that I think uh, I think it's good to kind of talk about it and kind of just say it out loud, just to kind of like let it sink in a little bit. And uh, you know, I mean, like I was saying before, it's it's obviously there was disappointment at first, but I'm also excited about the new opportunities that the lay ahead of me. 32nd round draft picks most often don't make that run to AAA and knock on the door of the big leagues. Did you get the most out of your ability you think you could have? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm never going to look back one time and think that I have any regrets of, of, man, if I had only done, worked a little bit harder in the weight room, if I had, if I had only taken a few more swings. Like, I, I know I, I did everything I could in my power, and uh, and I think that the, the hardest part to swallow is that, that, yeah, like, I still think I'm, like, I had a lot of talent and, and that I could compete with those guys. But, you know, this uh, I think it's time for, at, at my age and, and, and with the opportunities, I think this is I think I'm choosing the right decision for me, what's best for me going forward. Is it tougher because you were that one step away from reaching that dream? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was tough. And, and you know, coming up through the system with with the guys that, like, I've kind of made it up with, uh, like the Brock Stassies and, and the Logan Moores, and those guys are obviously become, like, Obviously, they're my, they've been longtime teammates, but they're my good friends as well. So, you know what? I'm gonna miss. I miss being in the clubhouse. But I mean, this is also an opportunity here to be a part of a clubhouse and, and be a part of the guys as well. So, every step along the way, you think you proved yourself and proved that you deserve to make the next step. Was that gratifying for you in a way? Being a low round draft pick, just proving yourself. Yeah, step? I mean, I, you know, I think uh, I think it kind of makes you makes you a stronger person. It makes you. Um, kind of makes me who I am I think uh, I don't think I think if I didn't have the right personality I think I wouldn't have made it that far and I think it only made me stronger mentally um, just with anything I do it's it's I know I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna work I'm gonna outwork anybody in, in anything I do and whether it's baseball or, or 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 coaching or business or whatever it is I, I always take the mentality that I, I'm gonna be the one that works you after the injury last year did you start thinking about maybe the next phase of your career at all um, I think I think there was a few. There was initially I had I had the very it was very disappointing because you 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 work so hard to get ready for a whole season, um, but then I took I I got rid of that and, and I got straight to the mindset of man I just I just got to give myself another shot I, I can't not ready to give up yet so uh, I you know 
I, taking that mindset was a huge plus for me because now, I mean, going forward, my knees hasn't had any problems. I have a healthy, healthy knee, and I'm able to do everyday activities uh, regardless if it's baseball or something else without any pain, and, and I'm very, very comfortable. Think about back to 2010 when you first got here and, and what you knew versus what you know now. Yeah. Is that the stuff you're going to try and impart on these guys yeah. a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think I said that a little bit to Todd, and uh, I think... I think the special part about my situation is that, I, like you said, I was a 30-second round pick, and and not all these guys are obviously later round picks, but like, I just I just want them to know that like, yeah, you got drafted, and yeah, you may have signed for money, but the work is just beginning. Like you you can't you can't ever like just settle for being just like a, like a good player. You you want to you want to aspire to be the best, and you want every time you walk on that field, you want to. You want to act like you're like the top dog out there. So, I just want. I think. I think to carry about carry yourself with uh, with confidence, but also respect the game. And, and I think it's a, it's a balance of both. So I, I'm just gonna try to uh, just try to impart some of that wisdom that uh, that I kind of like I, I brought to the field. So just kind of my personality onto them. What do you hope to accomplish over the next month or so? Um, I mean, hopefully I can just connect with some of these guys. I, I know uh, we're not that far in age difference so maybe I can uh, I can relate to them I mean I, walking in the clubhouse I, I kind of already I, they, I can feel them kind of look at me as like a kind of like a teammate but like mm-hmm. just like this older this older <laughs> guy that's like all right we should probably listen to him so uh, I think I think if I can just influence a couple guys in, in a positive manner and help them uh, help them with their careers that would be I think that would be a big plus is this something you're hoping to do down the road yeah, you know, I think it's it's kind of a trial right now. We're we're doing a month, and there's about a month left in the season, and I think it's a good opportunity for me to, to get a, a gauge of of if it's something that I'm interested in doing, maybe for next year. Uh, maybe I don't want to do it, and I, I go down a different avenue. But I won't know unless I'm actually putting myself in the shoes, and that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Carlos Alonso is going to be a good fixture to have in the Williamsport Crosscutters clubhouse. He's knowledgeable. And he figured out ways to get everything he could out of the the talent that he had. He's a student of the game, which makes for very good coaches. And he's a glowing example to new players that it doesn't matter in which round you were drafted, you can still make an impact in pro baseball if you want to work for it. That's a pretty good lesson that he's able to pass on to these young players. Once again, I want to thank Chris King for joining us here on the Timber Talk podcast and giving his insights on the future Phillies currently playing in the Gulf Coast League. Shoot him a follow on Twitter, at StatsKing. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Mitch underscore Rupert. That's M-I-T-C-H underscore R-U-P-E-R-T. And should you have any questions about the Cutters or Phillies prospects in general, send them my way and we'll answer them here on a future podcast. And don't forget, you can download the podcast on iTunes as well as still listening on SoundCloud. Please feel free to subscribe to the podcast on those channels, rate them, and leave your comments on what you think we can do better or what you would like to hear. And as always, you can read all my stories about the Williamsport Crosscutters at www.sungazette.com. Just scroll to the bottom and look for my picture and a link to my blog called Beyond the Boundaries. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Timber Talk Podcast.